Desan McCullough is going to be one of Oklahoma's best defensive players this fall. He's got a lot of work to do. We'll talk about that on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners, and thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. We're free and available on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. Go hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref and Norman. And Josh, spring ball continues on. It's a really important time of the calendar year. I don't want to say season, the calendar year for Oklahoma football as they continue to work on install. They continue to integrate new players. They got a lot of new transfers in. And one of those is Desan McCullough, a guy that was a ESPN freshman All-American uh, this past season with Indiana, had four sacks, uh, six and a half tackles for loss. It was a really productive player for them. He's going to need to be a productive player for Oklahoma this year to help transform that defense into what we need it to be in order for the Sooners to get back into contention in the Big 12. Well, and he spoke with the media. And if you're catching some of the conversation that Desan McCullough had with the, the Sooner Scoops, John Hoover Media, whoever, right? Uh, this Some of the stories that have been written out there, if you catch some of that scuttlebutt, Probably uh, you, you've seen some of the comments from one Desan McCullough, and he's getting asked the types of questions, John, that would typify this portion of the calendar year, which is, hey, for somebody that's a transfer, what's it like picking up the playbook? How is that process going along? What's it like playing Cheetah? What does that mean in the Coach Venable's defense? So let's start with that first question that McCullough's been asked, right, which uh, is how how are you picking things up? And – you know, obviously sort of gave the, the stock answer. Hey, it's complicated defense, picking it up. Uh, there's a lot to learn, but, you know, we're learning as we go through the spring. And that answer is what you would expect, John. But it got me thinking, how important is this for Oklahoma? It feels like we've attached a lot to Desan McCullough in this idea that, okay, if it's at Cheetah for Oklahoma, which it sounds like it's going to be at Cheetah for Oklahoma, that's where he's working right now throughout the spring and – he talked about how the cheetah role, as we know, is versatile. There's a lot of angles to that. You could be, you know, more of a coverage backer, could just be your prototypical linebacker. They could line you up at edge. But for McCullough, based on what we expect, what we think he's going to be for this defense, John, he better pick it up in the spring, right? I mean, that, that was sort of my big takeaway is, hey, you got the answer that you expected, but we need McCullough to – we can't be having the conversation three games into next season, four, five, six games games into next season. Well, Bacola, he's still learning this defense. No, this needs to get figured out now throughout the spring as we go into the fall. I agree. And yes, there is a transition period that happens. And you've heard, you know, different assistant coaches talk about the guys picking it up a little bit more, having a deeper understanding of the playbook now being 15 months into into a Brent Venables defense. 
at the same time, you you kind of need those guys that you brought in to be impact players to be impact players. And the only way that's going to happen is if they know the playbook, if they're aware of the schemes. And yes, he has a very um, important role in the cheetah defense or as the cheetah in this defense, because it is a very versatile role and he's got a lot on his plate and he's got a lot. He's going to have to learn, but you got to learn it. Now he believes that he's going to be up to speed by the time fall rolls around and fall camp rolls around. There's going to be a lot of details to iron out. And you know what? Having a, a coach for a dad probably helps some of that. Having, you know, a brother that also plays probably helps some of that. Um, but a lot of it's going to fall on, you know, Desan McCullough. We're expecting his athleticism to shine come fall. We're expecting him to be a big time playmaker for the Sooners because he has that ability. But the only way that's going to happen is if he has a really good understanding of what his responsibilities are. And they can be varied from one snap to the next. He could be a rusher one snap. He could drop into coverage the next snap. He can you know, be playing middle of the field. He could be dropping into a, a cover two zone down the, you know, in the sidelines covering the flat. So he's going to have a lot to, to do. But And you hate to put this all on one player, and it's not when it's a defense, but kind of a lot hinges on that. If, if the Cheetah, who has a lot of different responsibilities is out of place in one spot or on one play. It could just create a domino effect that upsets the whole play call that given snap. And so there, there's a lot on his plate and there's a lot of pressure on him to perform, but I don't know if they would put him in that position if they didn't think that he could handle it. You know, they've got, you know, Justin Harrington's going to be there. He's a, a solid, you know, number two, Cheetah, at least they're going to be competing for starting spots. But I think a lot of us expect it's going to be Desan McCullough starting for the Sooners. And then you, you're probably going to see a rotation between him and Justin Harrington. But you don't bring in a guy with the athletic prowess that Desan McCullough has and then sit him on the bench. No, you, you don't. And, and I do feel like it, we knew this, but we caught confirmation of it with Desan McCullough saying, hey, this cheetah position, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, this cheetah position, you're going to do a lot of different things, and you're going to line up sometimes at edge, and on and on and on. I think that was McCullough's way of sort of revealing to us, John, what we already knew. Desan McCullough is going to get used in a lot of ways in Oklahoma's defense, and probably that's the case for anybody that is going to be, whether it's Harrington that uh, ends up winning that job and winds up being a number one, I think that would be a surprise for people just based on the general consensus right now. I don't know if that's based on anything beyond the fact that McCullough had a very productive first season at Indiana where he had the 49 tackles and the six and a half tackles for loss and four sacks, three quarterback hurries. That, that for somebody that young, very, very productive. And so you just kind of – you you – just sort of parlay that over to the University of Oklahoma and say, okay, well, the numbers should get a little bit better as he gets one year older. And oh, by the way, there's a need for Oklahoma and on and on. It's easy to it's easy to connect the dots that, hey, he's the get he's the guy that's going to be the leader in the clubhouse here. But we did get that confirmation, I think, John, that, oh, by the way, what we thought McCullough's role might be with Oklahoma in terms of the cheetah position, if in fact he does win the job. Yeah, that's probably going to be the situation for McCullough at the cheetah position. He's going to be asked to do a lot for Oklahoma. Now, I will say this. Offenses in the Big 12 are vastly superior to the offenses you see in the Big 10. They're a lot more complicated. They're a lot more pass happy. They're just more challenging in in a lot of ways. And so that is going to be a bit of a, a transition. I mean, he's going to have to get used to that aspect where you know you're not playing an Iowa team that doesn't 
that really didn't have a quarterback is going to run it, you know, at you 40 times or, you know, you're playing Michigan state. Yeah. It's a, a solid offense, but not one that's going to be putting up, you know, uh, video game numbers. You know, the best offenses in the, in the big 10 were Ohio state, Michigan. And those were really, really good offenses, but week to week, depth wise the offenses in the big 12 are going to provide more challenges and just because there's a there's a lot more versatility a lot more speed they play faster uh they get up and down the field a little bit more you know there's there's guys like deuce vaughn there's guys like you know he's not in big 12 anymore but there are guys that are similar to that that just play with a lot of speed a lot of agility make you miss in the open field they're difficult challenges so that's going to be a bit of a a difference for him you know, taking the step from the big 10 to the big 12 is just the, the level of offensive play. I think, I think now I might be a little biased here, but I think it's much more challenging um, offensively week to week. Um, And, you know, when, when teams like Texas tech can have, you know, really good offensive players and have a productive offense that can put up 40 points a game, 35 points a game, stuff like that it just kind of goes to show that there's a, a lot of really good offense in this conference. Well, and one team that I don't know where they're going to finish, but Jalen Daniels is a heck of a quarterback at KU. So, and I wouldn't pick KU to be a top half of the league team. I think defensively they've got a lot of problems, or at least they did this last season in Lawrence. And there's really no reason to just outside of, I don't know, magically they hit some, uh, pieces in the transfer portal. There's no real reason going in to say that the compass is pointing in the direction of KU being a better defensive team. So I don't look at them and say, okay, this is a bona fide top half of the league Big 12 team. But okay, that's a team that's probably a lower third team in the Big 12 that has one of the nation's best quarterbacks. So to your point, I would agree with you that Ohio State, Michigan were the the clear best offenses in the Big Ten, and then after that, okay, you know Caleb Johnson's a terrific running back at Iowa. You have, uh, gosh, I, I, Braylon Allen, really nice running back at Wisconsin. But generally speaking, top to bottom, you're not seeing a bunch of offenses that are just top to bottom great week after week after week in the Big Ten. And we'll see. You know, I think there's some unknowns in the Big 12 if that's going to continue going into this season. I think one of the best quarterbacks plays for Oklahoma, so you're not going to see him outside of practice. So that part's good for McCullough and OU. I think there's some questions about whether Ewers is really that guy at Texas, but you know they're always going to have skilled talent. We'll find out about Arch Manning if the answer is no on Ewers at Texas. I do really, really like Will Howard at Kansas State, but uh, beyond that, I think kind of you're maybe going into a a situation where Jalen Daniels, a couple other guys, but uh, beyond that, I don't know how great the, the quarterback situation across the board is going to be in the Big 12. Historically, though, I'm with you. It's been better in the big 12 uh, comparatively to the big 10. And they just play, they just play more sideline to sideline. You know, you see a lot, you know, a lot of the jet sweep action, a lot of wide receiver screens, but then they also get really vertical too. So I just think that whereas the big 10 and, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, managing editor of Hawkeyes wire, but it just seems like the big 10 is just more straight at you. We're not trying to fool you. We're not trying to trick you. We're just coming at you. We're going to try and beat you with execution and toughness and physicality. Is that wrong? I think it depends. I mean, I, I mean, I think Ohio State fans would would argue that they've been offensively one of the juggernauts in all of college football. Oh, for sure. To to you know an argument they're going to win, but uh, you know, there's there's I think there's there's really good athletes in the Big Ten. I would agree that it's more run predicated 
when you've got teams like Wisconsin and Iowa and even, you know, Michigan State at times, I think in the past has kind of been that way. And I don't know that you've had, you know, you've not had top level NFL star quarterbacks outside of Ohio State coming out of the Big Ten for the most part. Right. And oh, by the way, even somebody that, you know, would be one of the first names to come to mind from Wisconsin in Russell Wilson was a transfer from North Carolina State. So, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think that offensively, it's been better in the Big 12, generally speaking, on a year-in, year-out basis, and probably less of the conventional, hey, let's turn a handoff and lean on the run game. But that's also, I think, part of playing North football, right? I think yeah. because the weather conditions sort of lend themselves to, you're not going to maybe lean and you know rely on the, the throw game as much being in Wisconsin and Iowa and Minnesota, that's kind of the nature of the beast. Yeah. You're, you're probably not trying to run a lot of, uh, you know, double wide receiver reverses, or you're not trying to run sideline to sideline as much. I mean, again, Ohio state, they're as diverse of an offense as you'll find in the country. And and you'll see them do all those things that we're talking about. But I think just generally speaking, Desan's going to have to kind of get a little bit more um, aware of kind of, it's not just North South football in the big 12. There's a little bit of that, but there's a lot of it. They play all over the field. They play to space and they try to find space and they try to attack space in the big 12. And so that's going to be a challenge. Now he's, he's got experience playing in space played, you know, safety in high school. I'm sure they dropped him some in coverage at Indiana, but maybe not a lot, but he's got the athleticism to do all those things. It's just a matter of now reorienting himself to that kind of play style, as opposed to just playing edge and being the defensive end, setting the edge in the run game, rushing the pass or that sort of thing. It's a whole big transition for him. And I mean, I think he's up to the challenge. We're going to find out and we're going to find out, you know, as soon as big 12 play starts, because that, that road trip to Cincinnati is going to really test Oklahoma right out of the gate. But Josh, we're going to continue to talk about the running back position. As we did on yesterday's show, we talked about Javante Barnes injury. DeMarco Murray spoke to the media um, after practice on Tuesday and just had, you know, some, really good thoughts about the running back room, but also what he's kind of looking for at the position moving forward. But first let's talk to you all about FanDuel. NBA playoffs almost here. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel. That's America's number one sports book because Hey, new customers, no sweat. First bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets, baby bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win. So just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe. It's secure. It's super easy to use. And then you can, Bet on everything from the money line to point scores to threes drained, you name it. FanDuel even lets you combine those bets for a chance at, bigger, at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Don't miss your chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com backslash locked on. FanDuel.com backslash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Speaking of of getting confirmation, John, I think sort of what I suspected, even though the injury situation right now for Javante Barnes lends itself in this direction, even though Javante Barnes comes into this spring, he's the leading returning rusher based on what I heard from DeMarco Murray. And and I guess probably we could, we could play this game with a lot of different positions across the board, right? Even for established guys, what do coaches like to say in the spring? Outside of maybe one or two positions that are very, very clearly locked up, coaches like to say, absolutely, it's a competition. 
But I'm buying that with DeMarco Murray that, yes, this starting running back role, even though Javante Barnes is your returning rusher, and even though Javante Barnes obviously is dealing with an injury throughout this spring, we know those two things to be true. I'm buying that it's not just because, oh, by the way, Javante Barnes is dinged up with an injury. It's it's open season right now at running back for Oklahoma. And uh, I again, I'm singing the praises. Been saying that I think before it's all said and done, Sachuk's got a legitimate chance to be number one running back here. But uh, good news, I think, for Oklahoma. There's a healthy, healthy spring competition taking place at, at RB1. And I think it should. You know, as good as Javante Barnes was, in 2022, he had some issues at times. I mean, he had the fumble against uh, Florida State and the Cheez-It Bowl, but then there were some struggles in short yardage. You know, I, I feel like for a, a guy as physical as he was, as big as he was, that he shouldn't have struggled in short yardage like he did. Again, a lot of that's team rushing ability. Oklahoma's offensive line didn't always get a great push in short yardage situations. Uh, but where we stand right now, I mean, he's only been in the in the system for a year. He had a solid first season as a true freshman. I, I'll say this. He had a good season as a true freshman, but I think you got to wipe the kind of wipe the slate clean and give everybody an opportunity to earn a role. But that doesn't mean that Javante Barnes is necessarily taking a step back or he's going to be second playing second fiddle to anybody. I'd still kind of put him as the favorite to be the, the lead running back week one. But you do have a guy in Marcus Major who has been you know, effective at times. Gavin Sawchuk's got the juice, man, to to be a really dynamic player for you. And Caleb Hicks and Dalen Smothers are no slouches in their own right. Like those two guys can play. And DeMarco Murray was singing the praises of Tobby Walker um, as well. And so you got a lot of really intriguing running back options uh, for the Sooners to use, but it's just a matter of, okay, who's going to rise to the top. But I think even if you don't really have one person assert themselves, the idea that you're having this competition, even if it plays out into the fall, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. The idea of having to have a true workhorse running back one, that's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of old. That's an old style of um, offensive mentality. Anymore, just having a group of guys that you can really rely on and lean on, I think that serves you just as well. I mean, Texas, yeah, they had Bajon Robinson, but they got a lot out of Roshan Johnson as well. Uh, you know, you look at, TCU with Kendra Miller and um, DeMarcado, you know, the, the other big bruising back, like you got to have multiple guys to be able to be an effective team offensively. And with as many plays as Oklahoma runs, you want to have a group of dudes that can run the ball for you and carry the rock. And I think if you go into the season, you're looking at a, a trio of Sacha Barnes and major, and you're giving those guys, you know, 10 to 15 touches a piece. I think you're you're kind of in in winning. Um, that's, that's a winning recipe, as long as they're productive in that stretch. Because I feel like they can all be productive with ten to fifteen touches a piece. They don't need high volume. You know, they're not volume running backs. Each of them can make big plays in the open field. So it's going to be fat and really fascinating to watch. Well, and the good news for I, I don't know if we can say this about Sachuk, just based on the fact that he had. 15 carries. Now, both he and Barnes went over the century mark in that uh, Cheez-It Bowl versus Florida State. And it was Sawchuck that that really showed some explosiveness in that contest. Not that we haven't seen it from Barnes, but just because we hadn't seen much at all from Gavin Sawchuck. Really hadn't seen anything until that game. 15 carries right at the century mark. Had a touchdown. Uh, Javante Barnes, though, what we've seen from him, and we saw it again in that Cheez-It Bowl, John, 
you mentioned it. If I can do the tired wired here, right? Tired. Got to have a workhorse running back. Wired. Eh, don't really need to. Let's just uh, divvy up the carries and keep everybody fresh and healthy. But one thing that if you are of that old school mindset, I want to have a clear number one running back, need to have somebody that can can tote the bulk of the load. Javante Barnes has already shown us he he can do that. He did that in the Cheez-It Bowl. He carried 27 times, John, in that game. And oh, by the way, he's got a, a couple of other games last season that not necessarily totally carrying the load, but oh, by the way, he carried 18 times versus TCU, a game that some would like to forget, but carried 21 times versus Kansas. So that shows us that asked to do that, Javante Barnes can't do that. And I, I wouldn't put it past any of Oklahoma's running backs, whether that's Sawchuck. We haven't really seen Hicks or Smothers yet, but I'm guessing that if DeMarco Murray is offering and signing you, chances are he has a pretty good indication or feeling, John, that if called upon, both Hicks and Smothers, again, could be workhorse-type running backs. So not that those guys can't do that, but it's probably a little bit of an advantage, yes, for Javante Barnes that, okay, we've seen him do that. Because you do need a guy that you can trust to get the ball to. And I think that's what DeMarco Murray talked about a lot in this po- in the post-practice presser was, you know, we had Eric Gray. We had a dude that we could rely on in every situation to be a productive player, to take care of the football, to, to make the tough yards. And, I mean, Eric Gray was very impressive last year. Asked to do every single thing, and he did it really, really well. Had a breakout season. Going to be a top, you know, four-round, top five-round draft pick really impressive. And so they need to find somebody that they can lean on in a similar way. And one thing that's going to be interesting is that not only are you going to have this group of four that we have for 2023, but you're going to have those same four guys, assuming nobody transfers out in 2024 as well. So not only are you really building for this season, but you're also kind of building for the next couple seasons with this group of players. And I mean, it's kind of a great advantage that they've had because, or that they have moving forward because they they haven't really had that. It's just kind of been one off. Murray talked about it. You had you know, Ramondre Stevenson, then you had uh, Kennedy Brooks, and you had Eric Gray, and so it's just been one by one by one. But I mean, if Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk are kind of your lead rushers this year, you're going to have them both back for when you move to the SEC the next year. Oh, and then you're going to have a more experienced Caleb Hicks and a more experienced Dalen Smothers, and then a whole new crop of running backs coming in the 2024 signing class. So the running back group is just going to keep getting better and better over the next couple of years as we transition into the SEC. But yeah, for 2023, it's a matter of, okay, who's going to be the guy that really steps up and takes hold of the running back room? And they're looking for leadership. They're looking for guys to, to be productive and, and Murray talked about vocal. Uh, I think some of it is just being vocal leaders too. You know, Barnes and Sawchuck, they're kind of in that leadership role now, even though they're just sophomores because they're the experienced guys. Now you have Marcus Major and Tawi Walker as well. They got some more experience, but I mean, Barnes and Sawchuck have been the more productive players comparatively to a Marcus Major. So uh, they're going to be looked to a lot. Um, and, and I think however it shakes out, by the end of the next season, you've predicted that Gavin Sawchuk will be the RB1, and we may very well see that. But I do think that those are going to be your top two kind of leading rushers, the guys that get the most carries uh, throughout the 2023 season. We saw that recipe work really, really well against Florida State in the Cheez-It Bowl, and so I, I don't have any doubt that that's going to be the way it works 
this season as well. You're probably going to see other guys kind of, um, you know, mixed in a little bit more than just the top two dudes. But I think when it comes down to it, it's going to be Barnes and Sacha getting 75% of the, the running back snaps and carries. And then you might see other guys get the rest of that 25%. Um, but you got to feel really good about what you got just in those two, regardless of whatever else you get out of Hicks and Smothers, you got to feel really good about what you're going to get out of Barnes and Sacha. Well, and again, not surprising, right? That we're hearing from DeMarco Murray that I'm looking for my starter, I think was the quote. Looking for my starter. Don't know who it is yet. Trying to find out which which guy it's going to be. And I think as we've discussed in the past, John, because of DeMarco Murray's history, both uh, at Oklahoma and then professionally, he understands, okay, I can say I'm looking for my starter, and that's great. And Eric Gray was your, your number one tailback a season ago and did a bunch of great things for you. But guess what? Javante Barnes still rushed for 500 yards. So it's okay to have maybe your, your number one running back, but a number two running back that gets plenty of run too. Or if the situation just dictates its, itself that way, John, to where really, okay, maybe you got a number one, maybe you don't, and maybe it just kind of fluctuates from week to week. And it could fluctuate depending upon, okay, who's going to take care of the football? I know that's that's pretty standard, but for you know a couple of running backs that haven't been, quote-unquote, the guy, well, one good way to remain the guy is to – not do what Mr. Sachuk, who I love, did in the Cheez It Bowl, right? Can't can't be can't be great when you cough it up, uh, you know, you know, one time. Can't do that in, in a pivotal moment. So that could be the separating factor here. Yeah. So the Sooners lost 213 carries uh, from Eric Gray and 33 receptions uh, last year. They ran the ball 44 times a game. That's 13 more times than they threw the ball. Now, Dylan Gabriel accounts for some of that because he runs the football as well. And honestly, I need to probably go look at pro football focus because the stupid NCAA still counts sacks as rushing attempts, which is dumb. Um, one day when they get the NIL stuff figured out, they're going to finally fix that as well. Let me go look at pro football focus to see how many times they ran the ball last year. It was 522 strict rushing attempts t- in total. They threw the ball. 474 times. So they still ran the ball more than they passed it, but it's not as big of a disparity, but they want to run the football. They 100% want to run the football as much as we think of Jeff Levy as a passing coordinator and he wants to throw the ball. That's absolutely true. He wants to get the ball down the field and big plays wants to throw those wide receiver screens. He loves so much, but he wants to pound the rock. He's an offensive line guy by trade. That's what he wants to do. He wants to get those guys up front, moving people and get the ball downhill in the running game. Use a lot of counter, use a lot of, you know, wide zone, stuff like that, because he wants to run the football. So there's going to be plenty of work for all these guys. And I mean, I don't know if they're going to continue to run Dylan Gabriel as much as they did, but they're certainly going to like, they're going to run him some um, and probably more than we want him to run. But uh, that's just part of Jeff Levy's offense. And that's kind of what makes it very intriguing and, and dynamic at times is the, the running ability of the quarterback. But both Barnes, Sawchuck, they're going to get run. We saw it in the cheese at bowl. They both got a lot of opportunities. I mean, Gavin Sawchuck, that was his first like real exposure to college football. I know he had a play or two at one point earlier in the season, but that's not really it. Like you can't really get into a feel of the game on one snap. 
but he got he got a great great experience, a great kind of opportunity just to see college football in that cheese at bowl. And he performed in a great way, like very admirably. Uh, so I think you feel really good about however the running backs room shakes out with those two at the top. And then again, what's coming behind them. And then Marcus major. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, he's one that you could just give the ball to a, here and there, and he's going to make something happen because he's just an effective runner, effective pass catcher. Now we just got to keep him healthy uh, and, and get him on the field and get him more consistent. But I, I think you feel really good about the running back position. You should. And we'll see. I mean, as this spring goes along and I know now we're what just about three weeks out from the spring game itself. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if either, either young running back before, you know, spring through the summer into next season is over. If one of those two ga- one of those two guys really has emerged a little bit to potentially be somebody that is kind of on the radar, because I feel pretty confident in saying right now, assuming that, Barnes and Sawchuck are healthy. Those are going to be Oklahoma's top two backs. And, and yeah, you've got major with a lot of experience there, but uh, then beyond that, I think that both Hicks and Smothers are going to have a chance to maybe get, you know, third team type reps for Oklahoma. So how that maybe shakes out the rest of the way could be, could be interesting because you just never know, John at running back. We've seen this before. Uh, maybe, you know, this is dating ourselves a little bit here, but I remember a trip up to Ames, Iowa, where all of a sudden uh, a fullback is your lead ball carrier in that particular, in that particular instance in Ames. So it can happen that way to where, because running back, you're turning, giving, and those guys, they take hits and occasionally they get dinged up. So that number three, number four running back, you don't think, you don't think you're going to need them a whole bunch, but then all of a sudden magically you do. Oh, I'm I'm here for the Caleb Hicks first carry of his collegiate career. I, I think it's going to be a violent one, and it's going to endear himself to a lot of Oklahoma Sooners fans. But that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in and being part of the show. Again, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all platforms. Go leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever it is. Give us that five-star rating. Give us an Apple review as well. Also, we launched a Discord channel as well to continue our discussion, our chats with you that we have on Monday night, 9 p.m. Central Time. I'm going to drop that in the link over on YouTube. We'll do it on the podcast side as well. So if you want to be a part of the discussion ongoing, you want to drop questions in for us to discuss on the show, we'd love to have you a part of it. Uh, Again, it's on Discord. It's an app you can download on your smartphone, on your computer, wherever you like to do your stuff. Um, But until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll talk to you then. Boomer Sooner.